Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Guinness World Record holder Nick Belenda, author of Facing Fear. And if you want to learn how to connect with world-class people, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm sitting down with Nick Walenda. Nick is a seventh generation member of the legendary Walenda family, known worldwide for his incredible feats upon the high wire and beyond. Nick is the holder of the eight-person pyramid on the wire, the highest and longest bicycle ride on a wire, and hanging from a helicopter by his teeth. Nick's career began at the age of two as he learned to walk the wire while holding his mother's hand, leading from there to record-breaking performances across the United States and around the world. In 2012, he fulfilled his lifelong dream to become the only person to walk directly over the precipice of Niagara Falls, which was broadcast live by ABC. In 2013, he became the first person to walk a wire across the Grand Canyon, an epic event aired live by the Discovery Channel in 178 countries, breaking network rating and social media records in the process. The next Discovery special took place in Chicago. He walked blindfolded between two skyscrapers in November of 2014. And then in June of 2019, accompanied by his sister, Lijana Walenda, Nick took it to yet another level, becoming the first person to walk over New York City's Times Square, an event that was carried live on ABC. Nick's motto is never give up, and he carries this positive message with him in every walk with his purpose of inspiring people around the world to follow 
their dreams. And also Nick just wrote a awesome new book, which is something we're going to be talking about here on the show. Guys, it's going to be a legendary interview, one uh, that is definitely a little bit more unique of an interview from our show's perspective, but I'm really, really stoked to have Nick on. Can't wait to get into a good conversation with him. But first, really quickly, if you are listening to this right now and you're a six or seven figure entrepreneur, and you know the power and the impact that having a podcast uh, associated with your business could have on your business, but you're just not exactly sure where to get started, how to get started, don't have the time or team or resources to dedicate to figure it all out, then have me and my team build that for you. Head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application. We'll jump on a phone call, see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you so you can focus on what you're good at, which is servicing your clients, doing your thing. We can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class podcasts. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Nick, what's up, my man? Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. So there's a lot of times where I'll go through these bios at the very beginning. And um, every time I go through them, you know, because we do a little prep work before, obviously, to make sure it's not the first time we read through them. And every time we go through them, it's just like, oh my goodness, this is a crazy <laughs> resume. And uh, yours is definitely at the top of the list, my man. It is. And you know, as you were reading it, I was thinking, man, my team messed up because they sent you an old one because I now have 11 Guinness World Records. Most recently, <laughs> I was the first person in the world to walk over an active volcano live on ABC. Wow. So a lot has happened even since that went out. Even since this exact media bio. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump in, man. So many crazy stories here. Let's build some context for those listening and uh, talk about your family and what it was like growing up in your family there. So let's say like, you know, seven years old, eight years old, what are the normal tasks that you would perceive a a normal family child to be going through? We can back up way before that. So in 1780s over in Bohemia, my family started walking on wires and performing, entertaining, eventually making their way to Germany and then uh, all of Europe. And in 1927, they were performing in Havana, Cuba. And a gentleman by the name of John Ringling heard that there was this amazing acrobatic high wire troupe performing and he had to go see him. So he made his way over on a ship to see my family perform. He arrived at the show, paid for his ticket, walked in, sat down. My family was getting ready to close the show. And the show owner in Cuba went up to my family and said, hey, you guys, uh, you get the night off. And my family are like, what are you talking about? We're the headliners. We're closing the show. We're all over the posters. It's about us. Nah, you guys just get the night off. Well, the show owner was an astute, smart businessman, and he knew that John Ringling had walked into the, into the arena. And uh, he knew that if John Ringling saw my family perform, that he would lose my family to Ringling Brothers Bar and Bailey Circus. So my family got the night off. John Ringling, being a brilliant man, snuck in the next day. My family performed. He immediately found them and signed them to come to the United States. First performance ever in the United States was in Madison Square Gardens in 1928, where they performed and received a 15-minute standing ovation for their first performance in America. And my family performed for many, many years, breaking many world records. My great-grandfather created a seven-person pyramid in 1947 on the wire. We had a bad accident in 1962, where my family fell. Two of my family members were killed. One of my uncles was paralyzed from the waist down. My great-grandfather snuck out of the hospital with many injuries and performed the next day, living by the words, the show must go on. And uh, continued to perform 1978. My great-grandfather was walking between a couple skyscrapers in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Lost his balance. We think that he went into cardiac arrest. He was 73 years old at the time, 150 feet up between skyscrapers, and ended up losing his life on the wire. A year later was when I was born, and that was my legacy. So I, uh, I was handed this amazing gift of this incredible family history. My mom was six months pregnant with me and still walking the wire. So I've been walking the wire longer than my feet have been firmly planted on terra firma. But I started performing at two years old. As you mentioned in that bio, I, I was actually a clown. 
they would carry me out in the ring at SeaWorld San Diego where my parents were performing a high wire act, dump me in uh, out of a pillowcase into the middle of the ring and I'd do a skit with other clowns. Uh, and that same time I started walking the wire because backstage my family had a wire about two feet off the ground. It was a playground for them. It is certainly not an occupation, if you will, although it is how we support our family, now how we pay our bills. However, it is our passion. My great-grandfather said it best. He said, life is on the wire and everything else is just waiting. And for our family, that's true. So seeing my family on the wire, two feet off the ground, having fun, I wanted to be a part of it uh, naturally. So I started asking my parents to hold my hand at two years old, walking back and forth on that low wire. By the time I was 13, I was performing about 30 feet above the ground on a wire and then went on to, uh, to do all of those feats that you recently mentioned uh, during that bio. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. It is extremely rare for somebody right now to be able to look that far back in their family history and have such clear stories and have such concrete evidence of their family's existence in the past. How cool is that for you to be able to look back on and know that you're carrying on your family's legacy by continuing to push forward and continuing to reach new feats all the time? It is awesome. It's amazing. As you mentioned, very few families in the world can look back that far and have that clarity. And that, that's very true for my family. Uh, but there's, there's blessings and there's curses that come with that because my family did have this illustrious name and did all do, do all these amazing feats. It puts a lot of pressure on me carrying on that legacy. In fact, when I was 17 years old, I was getting ready to graduate from high school and I had this passion for performing and entertaining and, and risking my life and walking on wires. And my mom had wrote, written a book in, in the, the late 80s that was called The Last of the Walendas because she didn't believe there was a future in our industry. Mm. She didn't believe there was any future for circus. 
My parents had struggled. My great-grandfather said it best in his book that he wrote in the 70s. And he said, in the entertainment industry, one day you eat the chicken and the next day you eat the feathers. And that was very, very true. And it's really true for all live entertainers. You know, that's why we see so many people that are striving to be actors who are waiting, waiting tables or striving to be on Broadway. And, and that's sort of, sort of how it is. You get one gig and it's great. And then all of a sudden you got to live off that for six months. So my parents really pushed me out of the industry. And they said, no, we don't want you carrying this on. You need to go off to college, go to school and do something else. Hmm. The challenge with that was I'd already had this bug for live entertainment. You know, just like any live entertainer will tell you, once you're in front of that audience, it's hard to go away. That's why you see people, you know, do That's why you see my great grandfather still walking the wire at 73. Yeah. That's why you see, uh, you know, people like Michael Jordan still in the public light. Of course, he's Michael Jordan. But the reality is he's never going to put that basketball down, even though his, he may not be doing it on a professional level. He's still still playing basketball because it's his passion. So I really struggled with that. And I actually had, had applied and was accepted at a university in Florida where I was going to go to school with the intent of becoming a doctor. I wanted to become a pediatrician, actually. Mm. And uh, that was about when, when our phone rang and it was someone in Detroit, Michigan, who had invited our family to come back. I mentioned earlier that accident in 1962 where we lost some family members uh, and one of my uncles was paralyzed. We were invited to go back and recreate that pyramid in the same arena, on the same platforms, in the exact location where my family had fallen back in 1962. Mm. And I remember going, we, I finally convinced my parents, hey, let me, take, let me skip the first semester. I'll pick school up, don't worry, but I want to take this time and really show the world at least that we do live by those words, the show must go on. I've adapted those words to never give up throughout my career and throughout my life because of the challenges I've went through and because I think it's more relatable to everybody else than the show must go on. But I remember showing up after training for about six months and getting on the wire and uh, Larry King Live, first time they ever broke into his, his episodes live, they cut into his show and showed us doing this. It was on every TV station around the world. There were documentaries around the world. And I remember seeing that and thinking that our, our industry isn't dying. It's just changing and we need to adapt with the times. Yeah. It's relatable to every business, right? We have to remain relevant. We have to continue to change and adapt with culture and society. And the circus didn't do that. And I realized, look, if there's this much attention in the world on the Walenda family for recreating this pyramid, then we just need to do big things. And it wasn't easy. It was tough, just like any business. So I, I went on and I said, look, I'm going to I'm going to go break a world record. I'm going to, I'm going to do the four, highest four-layer eight-person pyramid. So I decided to add one person to my great-grandfather's seven-person pyramid. We trained meticulously. We went to Japan, made headlines around the world. And I thought, great, now we're there. I've got my breakthrough. And uh, I remember going back to my house in Florida and expecting the phone to be ringing off the hook and sitting there actually working in a restaurant for the next three years until the phone was rang again for another big event. And, and my whole career is that story of 10 steps forward and 13 steps back. Yeah. And really, that's really, I think, everybody else, most people's business life, right, is we always, we make these strides, and then we get knocked back. And as long as it's the ones that keep fighting and keep giving up, getting up and keep moving forward, even against all those odds that make it. Yeah. Explain to me how you were able to put your parents at ease when you were, when you told them that you weren't going to go back. And <laughs> I wasn't. School. I wasn't. Trust me. As soon as uh, we broke that world record in Japan, came back and started working in the restaurant, it was and in a subtle way, in a gentle way. It was my dad saying, I told you so. I told you, son, there's no future right. in this. You're working in right. a restaurant. And trust me, there wasn't a day that went by without doubt in my mind of, wow, am I pursuing what I should be pursuing? You know, my new book right. is on facing fear. And, uh, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think so many people give up on their dreams and their calling in life because of fear. And I remember those thoughts of fear at 19 and 20 and 21 and going, man, I screwed up. I should have went on to be a doctor. I should have went on to school. But then in the back of my mind going, no, but this is my passion. And I'm not going to give up. 
I don't want to wake up every morning and go to work miserable just because I know a paycheck comes in every Friday. I want to go to work and do what I love. And through that, again, through a lot of challenges and a lot of setbacks, which I talk about in my first book, which is titled Balance, uh, but it's all about those five steps forward and eight steps backwards. When you basically decided that you were going to continue going after this career path, was there anybody else in your family that was kind of like with you pushing forward or your parents doing completely separate things and wanting you to go yeah, to school? So, so my parents had moved on from the industry completely. My dad was running a theater and my mom was working on another end of the entertainment industry, but not not performing on the wire because again, there was just, it just felt like there was no future in it. So, um, but I, I did meanwhile, got married during that time to my incredible wife. We've been married 20 years now, but she comes from eight generations of circus on one and seven on the other and uh, the third oldest circus family in the world. So I had her support, but also the stress of having to raise a family. At that point, we had one child, one on the way, and, uh, and didn't know what the future was going to be. But again, I knew that I had this passion. I knew I had this desire. And I knew that there was potential. It wasn't like it was a foolish, you know, throwing dreams, you know, casting dreams. I knew there was potential of it because of that seven-person pyramid, because of that eight-person pyramid and the media attention that it garnished. I knew there was interest in what we did, we just had to kind of break the code, which is very, very tough with all the clutter in the, in the world these days. How do you go about the decision-making process when you're looking at another feat? Yeah, so I was on a call today for another event that I'm working on that will take a lot of governmental involvement, a lot of politics in order to get permission to do. And as I was on the phone with my team, there was a certain member of the team that said, you know, I just don't think it's realistic, etc. And I literally said, and I felt bad afterwards, but I said, you know, I don't know that you're the right person for my team. You know, getting permission to walk across Niagara Falls took changing two laws in two countries that were over 100 years old, literally changing laws, going all the way to the highest points of government in order to get permission to do that walk. That was just the permission process. Took two years, many, many doors slammed in my face, many times that I thought, man, I don't know, should I continue to pursue this? But again, I had that passion, I had that dream, I had that desire. So when I look to do an event, I look at something that if I can wow people like David Blaine and Chris Angel and David Copperfield and the Knievels, et cetera, if I can make those guys jaw drop, then I'm doing my job. Yeah. And, and that's really the way I look at it. I'm very, very jaded in that sense because I have been blessed with so much opportunity. And I look at the walk itself, the permission for the walk as much as the challenge as the walk itself. So again, it's one-liners. Nick Walenda walks over Niagara Falls. Nick Walenda walks over the Grand Canyon. Nick Walenda walks over Times Square. Nick Walenda walks over an active volcano. So it, it is all about what is a line that makes sense. Okay, yes, I want to tune in and see a guy walk over, you know, 2,000 plus degree magma on a cable the size of a nickel. I'm into yeah. that. And that's sort of the way that I choose them. But also I enjoy the permitting and the permission process probably as much or more than the walk and the training that leads up to it itself. Really? Just Absolutely. because of the challenge? That's right. I love that challenge. I love there's something that clicks in me when somebody says impossible or it can't be done. Or you can't. There's yeah, something right. in my mind that goes, okay, then that's what I'm going to do next. <laughs> Times Square was harder, honestly, to get permission than changing two laws in two countries to walk over Niagara Falls. It really? was that much harder. You know, 17 skyscrapers had to give permission, let alone the city and the government and the permitting. We shut down Times Square for three days. It hadn't been done in 30 some years other than for New Year's. That's an incredible task. And again, that is the thrill for me is when I go to that first meeting or with my team and, and I say, here's what I want to do next. And they say, man, it's just not realistic. You can't engineer a wire like that. I'm like, all right, well, thank you. Then you just confirmed that's my next event. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any of these really stick out in your mind as being not necessarily the most difficult, not necessarily the most 
fearful or most challenging, but the most rewarding of any of the walks that you've done? I would say the most rewarding walk that I've done was probably when I recreated that walk in San Juan, Puerto Rico that took my great grandfather's life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to go back and rig a wire between the exact same towers and I get goosebumps when I tell this story, but I, I stood on the sidewalk with the same reporter in the exact same spot that interviewed my great grandfather on the sidewalk before he went up and walked that wire. And I was able to interview with that same reporter in that same spot and they go up and recreate that. Again, sort of proving to the world that my family doesn't give up and that we continue to, against all odds to continue to go on and push the limits and prove to the world that nothing is impossible. And, and that truly is what my life is about now. It is so little about impressing people but it is so much about inspiring people that nothing's impossible. When you get up there, how comfortable are you at this point? Are you always nervous before you start walking? Or at yeah, this look, point? I would tell you that I have to be nervous, just like some of the greatest entertainers in the world that Elton John pukes in a trash can before going on stage, 90% of his shows. He's the best in the world at what he does, and everyone in the world knows him. But he respects, he doesn't puke because he's scared. He respects what he does. He respects his audience, and he wants to deliver to such a high level. Right. And that's the same with me in a sense of, yeah, there's nerves. I was just with Rob Gronkowski the other day and he, we were talking about just this, just hanging out. And he said, look, I get this every time I go on field, I get that nervous. Well, he's, he's arguably the greatest in the world that ever played his position, yet he still gets nervous before he goes out there. And again, for me, it's so important that I still keep that respect because if I become complacent, it becomes very, very dangerous to walk a wire. And it, it has happened before to me where I was walking over the Allegheny River in Pittsburgh with 250,000 spectators live. And I remember seeing my kids fighting over their Game Boy and going, man, they need to be disciplined when I get down. That's not a wire 280 feet up without a safety device. Yeah. So it happens. But then at that point, it's kind of like a, your mind, something clicks and you go, you know what? You better focus. Yeah, You're risking yeah. your life. There are times where I'm walking over between a couple of skyscrapers. And I go, what am I doing? I'm, I'm literally walking on a wire the size of a nickel without any safety devices. What a crazy life I have. So it's, it's funny to look at my life from the outside. And it's while I'm on the wire often where I'll be like, Am I really doing this as I'm yeah. looking down onto people that look like Ian? Oh, man, that's so funny. Okay, so we're running a little bit out of time here, Nick. So I do want to talk a little bit about the relationships you've been able to hold in your life and how that's kind of played into your career. This is the question that I ask everybody that comes onto the show uh, when it comes to this topic. Do you believe that who you know is more important or what you know is more important? And why do you believe I would, it, unarguably, who you know. You know, it is life is about relationships. Mm. I can tell you my career progressed to where it is. After 200 years of a family history, my career has been elevated to a place where none of my family would even dream of taking it. And it really was because of relationships. It was because of incredible management team. Again, a little bit of knowledge takes a little bit of wisdom to go, you know what? Our industry really doesn't have managers. I'm going to go to somebody who represents a David Blaine or an Evil Knievel, or, and I'm going to knock on their door and say, look, let's get together and let's do something. But it was those relationships. And then from, from my managers introducing me to other people, and now my life is all about relationships. I mean, every gig that I get, every event I get is because of another relationship. Because somebody says, well, that's, you know, you want to walk across Times Square. Well, I know the mayor very well. And uh, so why don't, you, why don't you go meet with the mayor and then go from there? So life is so much, and the progression of life, in my opinion, is about relationships more than anything else. Look, that's where opportunities come from, from these relationships. You know, these opportunities of me meeting the mayor wouldn't happen if it wasn't for that relationship. It is really, to me, it's about relationships. Do you ever take time on purpose to go out of your way to meet certain people or 
cultivate certain relationships or strengthen certain connections? Absolutely. I mean, look, again, I think we've all been blessed with wisdom. And obviously, I try to treat everybody identical, no matter who they are. That's one thing I learned from a mentor and somebody that is very dear to me, John Maxwell. And he is very much in the moment, no matter who he's talking about, or two. And that's what I've always admired about John Maxwell is when he is in a conversation with anyone, he is fully engaged in that conversation. I try to be the same way. But there are obviously certain ones that you realize, look, this is one that I really need to, I really need to tend to this relationship because this could lead to much bigger things in life. Yeah, sure. So tell me a little bit more about your relationship with John. How did you cultivate that one? And how has that helped you in your career? Yeah, so John is somebody that I've, of course, read several of his books being in the business world and who is just an incredible leader himself and somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. I met him at an event. Funny enough, the book that I just wrote, John wrote the foreword for my latest book on facing fear. And it was because I met him at an event. We were backstage hanging out. I told him my story and he said, have you ever written a book? And uh, I said, yes, I have, but I'm, I'm actually in the process of, of writing another one. And uh, I said, I'm actually looking for the right person to write the book with me because I really want it to help change lives and free people that are gripped by fear. The book is really about a story of an accident that I had where my sister nearly lost her life. She broke every bone in her face in a coma, wasn't expected to survive. I didn't realize I was on the wire too. I caught the wire and held on. She fell to the ground along with five other of my family members. I didn't realize, but a seed of fear was planted in my head. And it came to the point where I almost gave up wire walking. And uh, it was a process that I went through and I'm kind of rushing through this and we're short on time, but it's the process that it took me to overcome that fear in order to step back out of my comfort zone to get back on that wire and continue to pursue my passion, which is how Times Square happened and which is how the volcano happened. But John was a very inspirational in the fact that the gentleman who wrote the book with me, Don Yeager, uh, who's a Sports Illustrated genius, just a, a brilliant man, is a very close friend to Don. So literally backstage, John's like, let me call Don. He called him, put him on the phone with me. And through that, we built this relationship and wrote this incredible book that I believe is going to help so many people step out of their comfort zones and take that next step in order to be successful and fulfill their dreams. That right there is such an incredible example of what relationships can do for you. That is exactly what you're looking for. And then you met this guy who had that other guy in his contacts and enough to where the other guy actually picked up the phone when he called him right. and then you could actually go through and write. The, that. the other thing I love about John is we are, I'm literally was in the process of writing this book or doing the outline for the book when I originally met him. He immediately, before we left that room and he had to go on stage, he was being announced. We talked for 45 minutes. He was being announced and like talking to me as he's walking out on stage during his introduction was he's like, okay, but the next book's going to be about this. And that's what I love about him is it, it's not just stopping, but, oh, well, I've written one book. Okay, oh, I've written yeah. two. No, he's already on to three before two is written. Yeah. Uh, that's a leader. That's somebody who's inspirational to me. Yeah, which is why he's written like 87 books or whatever that's it is right. at this point. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay, so there was one one part of the story there that uh, that you were talking about that I do want to bring up if we got some time at the end, but I do really want to ask you about your book a little bit more. If anybody in the world is qualified to write a book on facing fear, it has to be you. So thank you, first off, for taking the time to write the book. I know that that is not a short and easy process. So thank you for taking the time to do that. And then also, can you talk to us about just like the top two or three things that maybe people could take away if they are currently facing a, a something in their life and really feeling that fear start to set in? Yeah, look, I believe that fear is something that we are, we have powerful minds and we're able to control where we allow our minds to go. And I think we, we very often forget because of an experience, I talked about that accident, but we forget that we are in control of where we allow our mind to go. I talked about a seed being planted in my head when that accident happened. And 
And I believe that fear, thoughts of fear and doubt, uh, negativity are like a seed in your garden. And if you don't pluck that seed out, it'll spread seeds, germinate, and take over your garden. And that's very much relates to my life and what I went through in, in facing fear, something I didn't think was in my DNA. And then all of a sudden, here I am gripped by fear to the point where I went to my wife and said, I'm done. I'm not getting on the wire anymore. I'm, I'm giving it up. And uh, I'll never forget that conversation. And I talk about it in the book, but where my wife came to me and said, she said, look, I respect you and I'll support you no matter what, but you live by the words, never give up. Your families live by the words, the show must go on for 200 plus years. You can't just drop everything. You've been an inspiration to so many people. You need to rethink this. And it was a, a revelation to me that things in our life that are even perceived to be horrible and negative, and I could have lost my sister and four other family members injured very bad. I could have lost my life, but we can use them for good. And that's really what the book is about, is taking a negative situation that could have destroyed my career and my life and, and, and literally killed family members, but taking that and using it to deliver a positive message so that because I went through those trenches of fear and doubt and, and, and literally watching that pyramid collapse in front of me while I was on the wire months later, dealing with a version of PTSD, hopefully with what I've gone through that I'm able to help others in life in general, those that are in business, those that are in the military. I've got two boys and a girl, my, my, both my boys, one's a Marine and one's in the Army. My heart's very near and dear to our, our military personnel. And if I can use my experience just to help one person, then it's worth everything. Describe for me the feeling that you had the next time you got up on that wire after that accident. Well, interestingly enough, the day after the accident, my sister was still in a coma. I didn't know if she'd live. I got back on the wire and performed. I actually walked over Amelie Arena in Tampa where I spoke. I do a lot of corporate motivational speaking and I'll speak from the wire. So this particular corporation had rented out the arena where, where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. And I was about 120 feet up, spoke to about 20,000 people, a packed crowd. But what I had done is I'd taken that accident, that situation, and sort of just buried it in the back of my mind and just tried to cover it up. And that's why months later it came back. So I felt okay, obviously emotional that first time back on the wire, but I performed for six weeks straight without a day off after that accident. And then I took time off. And that's when that fear that I was burying started to become revealed in my mind. And then the next time I got on the wire, that's when I started experiencing fear to the point where, so I walked over the Grand Canyon with 43 mile an hour wind, 1600 feet up, no safety devices whatsoever on a wire that, that was the size of a golf ball. That's pretty scary. I didn't experience fear then. I experienced fear after this accident to the point where I was trembling, physically shaking on the wire just to take the next step. Interestingly enough, I had a safety, which was one of the first times I'd ever in my life used a safety. One, I was actually the third time in my life that I'd use a safety. It was because of a requirement of the show that I was on. It's in New York City. It's a New York law. So if you're over 25 feet, you have to use a safety. So the first time I ever experienced a debilitating fear on the wire was with a safety underneath me. Wow. That speaks to the power of our mind. That's right. Um, I'm assuming this is kind of what the book dives into. So I'll let the book do the talking. If you're listening to this right now and you haven't already picked up a copy of the book, you should definitely go do that before you move on to the next part of your day. What were some of the things that you did to on purpose? It has to be on purpose, right? Your, your mind isn't going to fix itself and it's probably just going to get worse with time. So what did you, what were some of the things that you did to rework? Yeah, so I, interestingly enough, I've trained my mind my entire life to overcome these fears, right? So I just had to kind of dip back into the closet, if you will, and pull out, you know, knowledge that I had already had. I related to, you know, I mentioned 43 mile an hour winds over the Grand Canyon. So Jim Cantori's a buddy. He's at my events. He's in my dad's ear, who's in my ear. And Jim says, Terry, who's my father, uh, Nick just got hit with 43 mile an hour winds. And my dad will go, Nick, stay calm, but you've been hit with 43 mile an hour winds. It's pretty gusty out there. You need to stay calm. 
in my mind, I want to go crazy. 43 mile an hour winds, it knocks you over. It's strong. It's yeah. tough to stay on a wire, uh, let alone a wire that is moving the way that that wire was over the Grand Canyon. But immediately I can dip back into the, my brain and go, well, I trained in 90 mile an hour winds for this. And I walked six times the length. And I walked on a wire that was much more unstable. So what I'm saying is I take something negative and counter it with something positive. I don't allow my mind to go down that rabbit hole. I immediately stop and go, nope, I'm going to cut that out. And I've, I really apply it to my life in every aspect of life, whether it be raising kids, whether it be my son who's going to be deployed to possibly to the Middle East. I can allow my mind to go, oh my God, he's going to get killed. This is horrible. It's so dangerous. Or I can go, no, he's trained. He knows what he's doing. He's prepared and not allow my mind to go down that way. I've learned that you have to practice it always. No matter what situation you're dealing with, if somebody cuts you off on the interstate, rather than allowing my mind to get pissed off mad, which trust me, I do. There's times that I do. But then I realize, no, why would I go down? It's not going to change his life if I'm pissed off. It's not going to help me if I'm mad, other than it's only going to hurt me. So why am I going to allow myself to go that direction? And I believe that the most successful people in the world use those practices, and many of them, if not most of them, and that's why they've been able to get to where where they've gotten to. Yeah, the ability to, in a situation, pull yourself out of the situation and observe what is happening from a third-party perspective and then actually make changes to your emotional state. I mean, that is paramount in the... It so is. You know, there's times where I'll just wake up and I'll just have a negative spirit. I'll just be depressed. Yeah, right, right. And I will make myself think of something positive and smile. Yeah. Whether it's my, my dog, who always seems to make me smile, or no matter what it is, I'll think of something that is positive and, and literally against everything that in me that wants to do the opposite, I make myself smile. And something as simple as making myself smile can change my attitude. And when we make that decision every day in every situation that we face, we decide how we're going to react to those situations. That's what divides people from being successful and not successful. And success isn't always financially in the business either world either. You know, success can be measured in a million different ways. But to me, living a positive, fulfilling life and being able to positively affect others and encourage and inspire others in life, that's a legacy. And that's that to me is success. Nick, this has been such an amazing conversation. I, I would really like to continue talking, but we do need to move on here to the last segment. Something I like to call the random round, just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. But before we do that, can you tell us the name of your book and the number one place that you want us to go pick that up if there's any place that you want us to go in particular? Yeah, so Facing Fear is the name of the book. You can buy it on my website, just nickwalenda.com. That's N-I-K-W-A-L-L-E-N-D-A or any of your book providers, including Amazon and, and of course, anywhere online, Barnes & Noble, you name it. Facing Fear. If you're listening to this right now, you know on the show, whenever we recommend a book, we recommend picking it up immediately because if you wait, it's just going to go to the bottom of your list. You're never going to get it. So make sure, obviously, safely, if you're driving, don't do it while you're driving. But the first point that you can safely buy a copy of Nick's book, please, please, please go do that. This is the guy that's probably one of the most qualified people in the world to talk about facing fear. And uh, and with the people that he wrote the book with and everything, this will be one that you are not going to want to miss. So go pick up a copy of that book. Nick, you ready for the random round? I'm ready. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Medical field. I love, I love medicine. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Maybe Elvis Presley. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? I, I love podcasts. What's one of your favorites? I love John Maxwell's podcast. It's, it's one that I go to all the time and listen to consistently. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Uh, I get up, make sure I have a positive attitude immediately. 
brush my teeth, head to the gym. I'll get on the wire for an hour, hour and a half, and then I will start focusing on uh, business. What is your go-to pump-up song? Goodness, go-to pump-up song. I love anything Michael Jackson. What is something, putting business aside, what is something that you are just not really good at? Bowling. Bowling, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. As we get everything wrapped up here, Nick, what is one place online where listeners can go to connect with you the most? Go to nickwalenda.com. It's uh, got all the information of my past book, this next one coming out, as well as keep up with the events that I'm doing, my next TV specials, et cetera. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So head over to Nick's website, nickwalenda.com. That's N-I-K. W-A-L-L-E-N-D-A.com, nicklenda.com. Go pick up a copy of his book. Check out some of the content he's putting out there. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show today, my man. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it, Travis. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high-quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls. There's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.